Hi and welcome to Never Mind the Keywords. I'm your host Nafisa and I'm joined by my co-host and colleague Megan. Hello, nice to be hosting with you finally. I feel like we've been waiting for this, haven't we? So we have. nice to be hosting together. Um, we've got a fantastic episode lined up for you today. We are joined by one remarkable man who goes by the name of Jack Nolan. As you'll hear in this interview, he's had quite um, a journey so far despite only being in his mid-twenties. He's a motivational speaker, a twice published author, and he's a mental health advocate. So we'll be touching on all of that and more in this episode. But first, we're going to take a look at some of the things that we found in the news and discuss them. So yeah, welcome back. As Nafisa said, we'll be discussing something that we found um, in the news this week. So something that I found um, was an article published by The Guardian that discussed the effects of social media on boys and girls. And I thought something quite interesting to come out of that was that the impacts of social media affect girls more than boys at a younger age, um, which I thought was particularly interesting because I think we do often think about girls when we think about the the effects of, of social media. You don't really tend to think about how it affects boys just because there's a lot at the minute on, on like appearance and filters and I think we just always seem to associate that with women or girls but actually I don't know I think I think it, it goes to show this article that a lot of the commentary is about women and girls and how it affects them but surely it's worth talking about the effects on boys as well yeah definitely and I think as, as more time has gone we've seen you know the rise of social media impacting on how men see themselves in terms of like their body and things like that as well in the same vein as women um so it's it's prevalent it's just not spoken about which is a shame because it's just as important and it's just as impactful um you know i we as women we as girls we understand that the difference between the filters and things Mm -hmm. and how a filter can make us look but in the same in the same way that we have that men have that when they see a fitness influencer or somebody working out and having a particular body for example and I think as well you know we're we're a little bit older now and we know about the difference between the filters and real life but actually for younger girls that are say I think the article said like between like 11 and 13 actually when you're that young it's so hard to differentiate and to have that outlook of it's okay that's not real you know it's not real life it's a filter and then I think when you're younger and, and you know, plenty of people as well in later life still think that that filtered version that you see online is how it should be, whether that's actually physical filters or actually people just showing like the best aspects of, of their life on social media. Um, so I, I do definitely see why it affects younger people and specifically girls as well. Yeah, definitely. Like I've had to like completely stop using filters on Instagram stories mm-hmm. and stuff now just because... I noticed the difference and like yeah it was feels like oh no I'm not going there yeah like, yeah there's no way that's yeah. it you can you can fa- like fall into a trap a little bit can't you yeah and and definitely same you know I've made that conscious effort you know I might might change the brightness might do whatever but I will never actually alter my appearance because I've got younger relatives on on my Instagram like my sister and I don't want them to see me doing that and then use that as like an example of how to do it if that makes sense I'd rather yeah. be myself yeah and I think you know we, you mentioned that we are a bit older I think I can imagine it being a lot harder for teenagers and, and younger girls to kind of have that control and that understanding of what's happening to them when yeah. they think about that yeah definitely do you do you think 
obviously we, we said there, you know, we've made that decision not to use filters or anything like that, but do you think seeing filtered versions of people or lives on, on your timeline, do, do you think that's ever had like an impact on your mental health? It, it, it definitely can. It can give you a, a warped perception of somebody and it, you, you know, I've looked at a picture and you could think that that's a really nice picture of somebody. And I've had to like question that afterwards, like, that's fine but have they had have they done anything to that mm -hmm. picture to to make that appearance yeah um because there's a lot of things you can do on the internet to to get that and there's nothing that you know it's a personal choice but i'd rather know what yeah i was getting myself into yeah and i think away from like altering physical appearance as well it's so important to remember that on social media people are literally just sharing the best bits of their lives yeah. i think that's something that i've definitely had to remember is that particularly when I started university I didn't have the best time I thought I'd go make loads of friends have like the time of my life and it didn't work out like that and that's okay and I think now quite a few people are speaking up about that and I actually felt quite lonely but then when I was seeing like on Facebook Instagram people that I went to school with going off to university having the best time that kind of made me think oh like it's it's just me like you know is, is there something wrong with me um but then actually when you speak to those people and you find out how their time is going, say at university, for example, it's not always the best. So I think you've just got to remember that, you know, on the surface, things might things might seem okay. And, and as well, that goes for making sure you're looking out for people. Yep. It might seem on the social media that they're fine, but actually deep down, are they? And it's just reaching out and making sure that people are okay. Yeah, I think that's really important because university wasn't the best time of like of my educational experience mm -hmm. either and I thought I would I grew up thinking I would really enjoy it and yeah. like soak it all up and things and it wasn't like that at all and nobody did say that everybody expected that I was having like this brilliant time whenever somebody asked me how it was going yeah so I totally get that and yeah exactly we do have like this highlight reel online of our lives and we have to remember to like ask each other if we're okay even if somebody does seem fine and to ask that honestly and genuinely as well, not just as like a offhand. Yeah, comment. not just to tick a box and say that you've asked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that leads us nicely onto our episode now with Jack Nolan. So we'll be right back to discuss mental health and much more with him. Welcome back. And we're now joined by our guest, Jack. Um, but before we get started, we just want to put a trigger warning out there to our listeners to let you know that we will be talking about mental health issues and psychosis throughout this interview. So back to Jack. Jack began his life as an actor, um, which involved a role in a feature film and some time um, at the Lowry Theatre as well. And then after being sectioned twice with psychosis and mental health issues, Jack did sadly have to sacrifice that career that he'd built up. Nevertheless, he became incredibly successful and now... He publishes poetry, novels, and he continues to deliver motivational speeches across the UK. Uh, welcome, Jack. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So you, you've written a series of blogs on your website, All and Everything. Yeah. Um, what, explain how that came about and what inspired you to start writing. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So one day I was just sat on the bus and I was coming home from a job in Manchester and I thought, you know what, I was a bit down, being honest with you. I was a bit, you know, I was a bit deflated. I thought, I can't believe everything's going wrong for me at this moment in my time in life. And I sat, uh, sort of sat there on my phone writing a few notes and I started in trying to, like, inspire myself. So that's why the the words are quite emotive. 
you know, like, uh, for example, it says, you know, you have to sacrifice every day you wake up, you walk out of your room, you, you know, you listen to everything that's going on around you, but you don't listen to yourself sometimes. And it's really important to just really empower yourself and speak positively about yourself in a positive way so that you can sort of tell yourself subconsciously what's going on in your life and how you can achieve the goals that you want to achieve. You know, there's a line there in one of my poems where it says, you know, uh, I'll just share it with you, like, yeah. like a lion in a cage, my heart pumps, blood rages, ambition at the centre of my game, it's conquering defeat on my aims. And that line sort of stuck with me a little bit within the, the words that I create for myself and it made me realise that, yeah, you might be down right now, but look how far you've come. You've been through two section experiences. Not many people can say that and own that because I, I sort of feel that if you don't own your circumstances, then they own you. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think that's such a good point and I think you touched on there about you know speaking directly to the reader and you know like you say you never really do speak directly to yourself so you could tell us a little bit about your decision to speak directly to the reader and how that process is for you. Well it's a bit deep but I've been willing to share it with you it's because I thought there's somebody else out there who's sat in a position like me who's probably thinking to themselves oh I'm no good Uh, I'm a failure you know all the negative self-talk that we hear but what I wanted to do was change my self-talk. And what I was doing, I was putting my own self-talk out there and I, and I looked at it and it was positive. And I tried to turn it into a bit of a motivational speech to myself. And after I finished the work, I thought, you know what, I'm going to put it out there. So I put it into a little book and I put it out there as blogs so people have got no like reason not to read it if they see it. And I thought it would give, be good to leave a, a powerful message to people that you know that you can become the best version of yourself in your life, no matter what your circumstances may be. You know, success is different to everyone. And to me, it's most importantly is having my health and being there because I know where I've been. You know, I've been to the darkest depths of the ocean and now I'm climbing up the highest mountains you can probably think of, you know, with my career and my chosen path that I'm on now. Love that. Yeah. And that's such a good analogy as well. <laughs> um, away from, from that, obviously, with the other areas of your writing, so you've published two crime novels. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and sort of your writing process behind writing those novels? Yeah, of course, yeah. So when I came out of hospital, uh, which was my first experience of being in hospital, suffering with psychosis, my uh, ambition was to get my first book re- uh, published. And it was sat on the shelf there collecting rejection letter after rejection letter, probably covered in dust and at the back of my mind thinking, am I ever going to make this become a reality? And then, um, unfortunately, circumstances changed in my life where I was in a relationship and that ended. And I, I said to my, my ex that I was going to get this book published and it was sort of eating away at me. It was making me think, oh, you know what, I need to I need to do something. I've got this ambition, I've got this desire, I've got this passion. So I got laser focused like a sniper. I had one publisher in my crosshairs and I said to him, I said, listen, right, I know, I know you don't like me. I know you've got millions of people messaging you every day about all these different books, but I'm just going to send you this chapter. So he said, all right, Jack, send over this chapter. And then a week later, I rang him back. I said, have you had a chance to read this chapter? Yeah, Jack, not for us. I said, no worries, I'm sending you chapter number two tomorrow. Boom. <laughs> it chapter number two. Each week by week, I sent him chapter, chapter, chapter. So it came to a point of a period of five weeks went by. Again, not a long time in the period of how long I've been on the journey, but I was laser focused this time. And I thought, I'm sick of all the rejection. I'm sick. Of, it was like even my way or the highway. That's how I had to look at it. And through that resilience and through that, adversity of getting rejection after rejection I ended up getting a meeting with this publisher in Manchester it was like something out of a film I thought I was on the hero's journey so when I sat down in front of that publisher I pitched him my 
my soul. And I, I probably made a deal with the devil there about realizing, but it was going to put me on the, on the right course of action to put my work out there. You know what I mean? So I had to make that sacrifice. It wasn't going to make me JK rolling overnight. It wasn't going to make me a, a massive success, but it gave me that foundation to make that first building block towards my career as a writer. I think at that point you kind of sat back and was like, it was a bit of a pinch me moment that you'd finally done it. Or do you, are you one of those people that is just continuously looking forward because you think that if you take a minute to take it in, it might set you back, if that makes sense. I totally understand what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Personally, I'm always moving forward. <laughs> I ain't got time to sort of drown in my sorrows and stuff like that and reflect too much on my past because it's my past and it's there for being a reason of being my past. But moving forward, I even had like conflicts with the publishers, which made me sort of decide to go independent on the next time round with my second book. But I was trying to get in Waterstones and he said to me, Jack, sort of be satisfied that you've sold 100 books, you've done a book launch. Again, a massive number to me, 100 people who shown up to support me, it was massive. But I wasn't satisfied. I wanted to get in Waterstones because they said to me, yeah, I'm going to be here. And it was a bit of a, a bit of a redemption journey, you could call it, a bit of a journey to sort of say, prove you and to prove to the world that this is what my goal was and this is where I was coming from. And I went into Waterstones with like, you know, like Millie's cookies, donuts, chocolate, anything I could do to get the attention of these managers in Waterstones, you know, using my own marketing creative genius. And <laughs> yeah. like, that's what we've told really about marketing, but I was using my own guerrilla tactics, you could call it, to try and get the attention of these managers and, and people who was decision makers in Waterstones. So eventually I did catch the attention of the manager and it came down the elevator doors in the iron day on the elevator doors swooshed open like some out of a western. <laughs> Except there was no one. The only little things that moving about, there was none of yeah. <laughs> It was just a bit of, you know, a bit of, a bit of my fantasy in my head yeah. going off. So as he walked up to me, he said, Jack, he said, are you the publisher? I said, I'm not the publisher. He said, what are you doing there? I said, look, I'm the author of this book. I'm trying to represent an idea that you can do something positive with your life. You can change your circumstances. You can change your environment. You can change everything. You can put everything on the line and chase a dream and make it happen. And where we come from, like North Manchester, there's not that many opportunities when it comes to being creative. But, you know, there's other opportunities to go on the dark side of things. And I didn't want to pursue them dark things, even though I was around different influences at the time. I wanted to prove a point that you can put yourself out there and go after something. And they sort of just said to me, look, I know you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I went, no, I'm not going anywhere. You put my books on the shelf. And that's how that conversation ended. And a few days later, he ordered a few books into the Waterstone shop. And then I went in a week later, seen them on the shelf, got a picture of them. Amazing. You that's know, amazing. my mum and dad was there proud. They was buying them. I was like, what are you buying them for? <laughs> oh, I just want the, the Waterstone's bag of your seat. <laughs> so that was that story. No, that's amazing. And I think that taking your destiny in your own hands and kind of creating the life that you want is such a valuable lesson to learn. Absolutely. And you were touching on there just about independent book publishing. Have you got any more books in the pipeline that you can share that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm working on a Dead Ends The Rise Up, which is a prequel to my second book, Dead Ends. Um, it's about like Albanians coming over to Manchester, taking over, and then the, the Henry Slate Mafia family firm trying to fight back against this. And it's all about power dynamics and love and themes of toxic masculinity and mental health within that as well. So it's quite a real life reflection of what's going on in today's society in that underworld, you could say. Yeah, definitely. And um, when you when can people have access to that? Do you? It will come out this year. I can't say when because I'm mm -hmm. planning something big to do. Like I've done like a pilot on cool. the um, show on the on the book itself. So I'm planning to release it all at the same time and do like a, you know, like a big premiere, premiere sort of book launch slash film screening at the same time in the, within this year. 
That sounds amazing. And that sounds really good. Um, what was it that attracted you to that sort of style of writing in that genre? Well, believe it or not, my, I was inspired by like family folk stories you hear getting passed down from one generation to the next. And my granddad uh, was a bit of a villain back in the day and was like, you know, around the Quality Street gang and he was involved in all that kind of underworld, bad, you know, tough, gritty hardships and lifestyle what he had to go through. And hearing them stories passed down made me go the other way and say, well, I'm not going to go in that direction. I'm going to use it as a positive to inspire people through them stories and to share a reflection of, again, what's going on in the world and how people can empower themselves through that to become a better person. Again, I know my themes are sort of go around the same circle of becoming a better person and becoming stronger and becoming the best you can be. But that's the way I live my life. So it's that's the way I've got to be. It's it. the best way to live it, I think, definitely. And, and, you know, you've had so many different experiences that, like, as you say, you don't you don't tend to look back, but you can use that in a way to drive you forward as well. Which Absolutely. Is amazing. Um, so touching on that, obviously, you've been quite open about mental health issues and things that have happened in the past. And obviously, we know everyone has mental health, but it has been quite a big part of your life. So what are your thoughts around mental health and the way that it's viewed in this country and the way that it's treated? Well, I'm hearing what you're saying there I, and my own personal experiences. It, it does come to be shock for a lot of people, especially at how open I am with my bipolar. Uh, for example, when you're in the pub and people are going, why are you drinking water? And you're on shandies and you're on this and you're on that. You know, believe it or not, you can ask some of my friends. I've been to the pubs and sat there drinking hot chocolate, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm doing my own little thing in my own little way and I don't care about what other people say. And I think that's, I don't know where that's come from because at first, when I first came out with saying that I'm bipolar and sharing my experiences online on the internet, you know, and to the public, when people find out, you know, when you're in your family and your extended family and then friends and other influences that you have, it can be a challenge. And I think it is viewed as a bit of a negative. I know it's hard to say that we've been through a lot with breaking the stigma with people like Tyson Fury coming out and sharing his experiences and other athletes and professionals from all walks of life. But I still feel like there's a stigma there because, you know, like, when I came out of hospital on the first time round and was trying to get back into the creative industry, I felt like I became blacklisted because all the contacts that I had and relationships and people that I had as associates in that industry, in that TV world, didn't want to give me a second chance. And it sort of hurt me a little bit. Now, I don't know whether that's because there was no opportunities at that time, but pulling on the, stem, the, 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 the strength of the relationships that I had with him from working for free and doing loads of hard hustling, it sort of hit me in the teeth and, you know, it, it, it hurt my self-esteem and it made me question like, well, what's all this about? Is it my mental health? Is it because people are afraid of bipolar? Is it because people are afraid of psychosis? Even when it, And now when I was in a, a stable and better place for myself after achieving everything that I achieved, I've come to question whether like, you know, is the stigma still there? And I think there's a lot of stigma still there, but we don't really highlight it. Do you think a lot of that is down to lack of understanding and lack of education? Do you think maybe more needs to be done to educate people on mental health, whether that's in schools, the workplace, whatever environment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a lack of, there is an educational gap there. And it's because the way the, I feel like the, the way the media has portrayed mental health is bad. The only time you hear something from about mental health in my eyes, in my perception, unless it's a positive influence, is that someone's going to murder such a body, there's been a shooting, there's this guy's hit someone with an act, someone's been battered, someone, you know, or something negative. And then they have that, the cheek, I feel to say, and brush it under mental health. And it puts that fear out there that anyone who's got a mental health problem is a nutcase. We're not, 
You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, there's some people who are bad, evil people who need to be addressed in their own way. But for someone like me, who you might look at me in the street and go, oh, he's got nothing wrong with him. He's just a cool too cool dude or whatever, go lucky, happy guy. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes in someone's head and how they feel and what they're actually feeling. You know what I mean? Like today, I'll be honest with you, I woke up this morning and yesterday I was like, don't know why I'm not feeling it. But that's okay because I've, I've recognised it. Yeah. And now recognising it gives me the opportunity to change the way I am feeling, you know, for the way I'm thinking, for doing a podcast with you guys today, when the next person could have just said, now nah, I'm writing today off, I'm not, I'm not getting out of bed. But again, I don't know whether it's part of my bipolar or whether it's the part of my belief system that I've got to keep moving forward no matter what. So I do show up because my word is everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, definitely. And um, in terms of like in your own personal mental, how do you manage that on a day-to-day basis? Are there any things that you can tell the listeners that they can do to improve their mental health as well? Yeah, I'd say go for walks whenever you can. And like, I know it sounds like basic, but go for a walk. Not everyone's cut out for the gym, but find your thing. You know what I mean? And it could be anything from like taking vitamin tablets, anything small, even getting your, your coats in or your, your Actimils, you know, stuff like that. Do something for yourself. That's a bit alpha. You know what I mean? And then I just absolutely consume like positive podcasts. I listen to like successful people. I just brainwash myself into the, to where I need to be and to get into that positive state. You know what I mean? Or I'll ring up a friend and I'll talk to him about how I'm feeling and just be really honest and open about what's going on. Because normally, at the back of this feeling, there's probably something in my subconscious or something in, in, in my past or there's some sort of influence what's being brought up but I'm not have addressed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's what could influence your feelings and the way you are feeling. So It's about being know. self-aware, isn't it? Absolutely, and yeah. trying to work on that once you recognise what you're feeling. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, 100%. that's exactly it. It's, <clears throat> it's recognising the way that you're feeling, why you're feeling that way, and then, as you say, using that then to work on it and to do something positive and to, to help yourself then for whether it's the rest of the day, the rest of the week, whatever. But, yeah, I think that's a really important thought process. Absolutely. Yeah. When, we come, when you talk talk about mental health, especially men's mental health, the rates of men's suicides are quite high. And we were wanting to know, what is that something that you talk about? Is that something that... How do you break that stigma and how do you get particularly men to talk about their their mental health? Well, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like, there is that stigma there with men, especially because we're meant to be these, like, alpha males who are strong and can take on the world since the caveman times, you know what I mean? It's been thousands of years of us being the man, you know what I mean? And it's hard to talk about your feelings and emotions, but, you know, I think that we should show more empathy towards not just men, but everyone, you know what I'm saying? Because everyone's got feelings, everyone's got emotions, everyone's going through their own thing. You know what I mean? Like this morning, for example, you could have like been stuck in traffic, you've had an argument with your partner, your relationship's going down the drain, your, your work might not be where you want to be, your boss might have had an argument with you or whatever. You've had a stack of all these emotions building up and you've, you've just bottled it all up inside and you've not been able to just express how you're actually feeling because you're dealing with all these different stresses. And I think men, we hold on to that more than more than say the female female people you know people who are women because I know women are more tighter together than men sometimes when they're open about how they're feeling because you go for a brew you might open a bottle of wine with each other have a girls night or whatever you girls do whereas as men like I don't really watch football but this this only conversation in the pub is football and who's chasing who and that's it that's where it beginning and end whereas I try to sort of be open about how I'm feeling with my mates because if I don't then they might 
just think, well, they sort of they recognise it now. Oh, Jack's a bit quiet today. Or oh, Jack's not set out. Or oh, Jack's been a bit more. Non, not, we know that he's not himself. He's not running around being a lunatic. Now I'm not a lunatic anyway, but he's not like his usual goal lucky kind of self. So you know, it's good. It's good to sort of be open about them things because if we're not, then one, I think me talking about it with my mates can inspire them to sort of say, actually, I'm not feeling too great, and I become that goal to person for them when they're not when they're down. So it's like that support network. I try to build that support network within my circle of influence, you could say. Yeah, I was going to say, have you found like once you've started opening up about your own feelings, that your friends then open up to you about theirs? And yeah, you yeah, yeah. They kind of going all through the similar things. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's really powerful. I think that's it, isn't it? It just takes one person sometimes to speak up and that might feel really daunting, but actually by speaking up, Say, for example, how you talk quite openly about your mental health, that then could have a domino effect and then so many other people start talking about that. So I think that's really powerful. Oh, thank you. What role do you think the media plays in like the portrayal of mental health and the perception people have of it? It's a bit of a yin and a yang situation, but there's more darkness what they shine on it than they do light, in my opinion. Just because you don't really see that many positive mental health stories out there, you don't really see people... Others more than, you know, people like me, you know, it's talking about it. You know, they, they should highlight these things. But the media, we all know what the media is, you know what I mean? They try, they're just self-fear, in my opinion, especially with what's going on at the moment, you know what I mean, with other circumstances in, in, in real life, what are presently happening right now. But, you know, that's how it's always ever been because they have to, they have to try and create attention and sell that attention. And the most powerful way of selling attention is negative attention. And we've seen that in, in all walks of life. In my, in my in my way of thinking anyway do you think it's getting better or like in, in recent years do you think there's been more progress with the way that the media has portrayed mental health or even for example just on tv shows and there's been a lot say like itv have done quite a lot about like speaking up um i know they did a bit on like men's uh, like suicide rates and things like that do you think we're moving in the right direction or do you think we've still got a really long way to go well i feel like we are moving in the right direction in terms of other forms of storytelling, let's just say, not just focusing on the news, um, because there is like powerful stories out there what I'm getting told. And but I feel like we have got a long way to go because it's only been in recent times we've all been talking about mental health for a few years, whereas there's been other illnesses what have been spoken about for decades. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So we have got a, a leapfrog to make. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like it's encouraging our generation now to be self aware, to speak up and educating them because then down the line when it's those people in powerful positions they're the ones that are going to make that change then so absolutely i think education obviously is as, as we were saying before is, is so important for that um and speaking of which you obviously do quite a lot of motivational speaking now um to reflect on your own experiences so i mean i don't know i can i can probably speak for a lot of people that sounds absolutely terrifying <laughs> <laughs> um is it, yeah, how did, how did you find yourself sort of getting into that and, and how did you find it at first? Well, I was just stupid enough to write it on the hospital whiteboard. This is what I was going to do. <laughs> and then they told me that it was unrealistic and the part of me, I thought I said, you know, it's not unrealistic, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that was my driver. I'll just show him. I'll show him it's possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? A bit like how Muhammad Ali predicted everything he was going to do. Uh, I know I'm on a different level compared to Muhammad Ali. He's, you know, he's the man in there back in the day. But I'm, in the terms of perspective, I feel like, you know, if you've got a goal, 
and it's not got a negative connotation and it's not there to perfect anyone in a negative way for ethical, moral and everything in that sort of purpose. And it drives you to want to share your story because that's essentially what I wanted to do. I wanted to just share my story and empower people and let them know that it's okay not to be okay and everyone's normal is different. And through the you know the things that I've achieved along the way, it sort of goes hand in hand with inspiring people, whether you're dyslexic, whether you've got a learning difficulty, whether you are bipolar, you've got a mental health condition or whether you're just a normal person and you want to be inspired and move in the right direction. You know, I feel that, you know, when I got the opportunity to work with charities like 42nd Street in Greater Manchester, you know, one of the best mental health charities I've ever worked with or been associated to, they sort of helped me on my journey to rebuild my confidence when I came out of the hospital. And when I told them my goals, they didn't laugh at me. They didn't sort of say, oh, it's unrealistic. They didn't, they just sort of said, go for it. And when, when, I, when I was in that uh, not hospital, when I was in that in charity, there was um, some corporations that came in to speak to the charity. And I was just there like a bit like, oh, you guys now, you've got like your little setup, you got your brews in the corner, you've got this going on, you've got that going on. And I was just there volunteering, but that inner hustler inside me sort of said, you've got one chance here, Jack, when are you going to meet the directors of all these big companies like Camelot Lottery, Barclays Bank, Hewlett-Packard, yeah. etc." So I just sort of like pulled them to one side when the, their meeting ended and said, my name's Jack Nolan, did the whole magic dust on him and threw a little bit of sparkles at him and they just sort of said, <laughs> Here are you? And I said, well, I'm just a T-boy at the minute, but, you know, I've got this story. These are my books. This is where I'm going. This is what I feel I can help you. And then within a week, they sort of got back to me and said, Jack, would you like to do a big talk for us at our annual wow. conferences and stuff like that? So I said, 100%, yeah. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. Do you think, obviously, I, I guess when you started off, were you, were you really nervous to do that? Yeah, I was yeah. scared, but I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity. So I faced my fears and came across like a professional even though i'd never done it before mm. i think it's because of the way i think and the way i see things i wasn't willing not to miss the opportunity and when i stood up on stage in front of 500 people and i was there just giving my story i thought jack you're just talking about your life you can't fake your life you've lived yeah. it yeah you know what i mean i'm not trying to sell them anything as well all i'm trying to do is sell them maybe an idea that you can become the best version of yourself and i think that's a pretty good idea to sell exactly yeah. amazing <laughs> When it, when it, when you do come to like your when you do do a motivational speech, what sort of things do you include in that to engage the reader, to engage the listener, and kind of motivate them and inspire them? One hundred percent authenticity and being honest. I can't fake. I can only be me. I can't be a Tony Robbins. I can't be an Eric Thomas. I can't be a Stephen Bartlett or anything like that. Even though they're great speakers and great influencers, I can only be me. And through being me, I can share what I know. And for what I know, I know I've been, again, like I'll mention that metaphor, I've been to the, the depths of the ocean and I've been to the heights of Mount Everest. But in the middle, you find that everyone's got a different level, no matter where they are in their life. Like their level might be, you know, I'm a mum, I've got three kids, I've got a great family and I'm happy that I'm the way I am right now and the money that I've got coming in. I don't have to try and kill myself to be Richard Branson or anything like that. So whatever success looks like to you is different. You know what I mean? And most importantly, being happy. And what I felt like in my life, I was carrying so much like on this mountain to success. I had like a rucksack filled with rocks and in them rocks was just me metaphors for say like bad experiences that I've had and anger and all this emotion built up from stress. And then eventually I realized, why am I carrying this rucksack? took the rucksack off and I got up the mountain 10 times quicker. But a lot of us in life, we're carrying all these rucksacks with us, we're carrying all these rocks in our bags. Sometimes we don't stop for a second to think, 
this journey could be easier if I just let it all go and just pursued where I'm supposed to be. It's about peeling off all those layers and trying yeah. to find out exactly what you want and what's intrinsic to you. Absolutely. To discover your why. I always think, if your why don't make you cry, then it's not your why. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. As deep as it sounds. Yeah, yeah, it's finding that purpose, isn't it? And yeah. using that to then drive you forward, I suppose. Um, but do you find the more that you do those those talks and the, the motivational speeches, do you find that it gets easier or do you still always get a little bit nervous beforehand? I'm still scared, yeah. I'll be yeah. honest about it. You know what I mean? I'm not one of the people who puts up a perception of being bulletproof because we're not, we're not bulletproof. No. But if I, if, like today, if I'm having a bad day, I'll own that I'm having a bad day. I'll get up on stage and I'll say to him, look, you know, there's two wars going on right now in your life. There's one on the inside, your own war, where you've got a battle your own demons, and there's a war on the outside, and that's, like I said, it's the argument you've had with your partner, it's the argument you've had with your mum, it's the argument you've had with everybody around you, you know, the, the things going wrong that you can't control, circumstances that you can't control, yeah. that's the war on the outside. But you've got to pick up that metaphorical assault rifle and take a few shots back, even if you get hit by a stray bullet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and keep moving forward, even if you are walking across no man's land in your own head. I think it's really important that, as you said, to be open from the start as well with the audience because I think then that builds that connection, doesn't it? And yeah. it helps to engage them, Absolutely. you know, as you said. So, yeah. I think you also, when you hear somebody else have like a bad day or going through something, you sort of breathe a sigh of relief yeah. and kind of appreciate that that person said that because it allows you to knock down any pretenses that you've put on when you entered the room as well. Yeah, Absolutely. You mentioned a couple of people earlier, but do you have any sort of speakers that you look up to at the moment when you do your motivational speaking that you kind of try and channel? Or are there any rituals that you do before you do a speech? Well, I've, I've listened to them all, from Tony Robbins to people who are at the top of the game in the UK, like Brad Burton and stuff like that. And I've got relationships with certain speakers who are doing really well, like Richard McCann. And, you know, he's like the he's quite a, he's been quite a positive influence on my career so far as a speaker. And... I just, I, I don't, I listen to him, not to try and improve my craft, but because I, again, I can only be me, yeah. you know what I mean? But I listen to him to get myself in the right state of mind to get, I use, I use their motivation to inspire my motivation to keep myself moving forward. If that makes sense. So it has a knock on effect. Yeah. And if I pick up a few tips along the way, I pick up a few tips along the way, but the only tips that I can give anyone, whether you're a speaker, whether you're a creative person, whatever it may be in your life, is don't fake it till you make it. Be you until they see you. And that creates so much more positive situations for yourself because you've, you've, not, you've not lied. You've yeah. been you till they see you. And that that's a, one of the biggest things I can give anyone. You know what I'm saying? Because you've, you've got nothing to worry about when you get into a position of power. You've not got to worry about, oh no, this perception I've built up and I'm struggling and da 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 and I'm the man or I'm the woman or I'm the king or the queen. You just, you've got where you need to be and you can, you've got that authenticity with people where you can open up to people and say, I'm having a bad day, I'm stuck on this problem or can I get a bit of support here? You're not ashamed of asking for help because that's what life's all about. Reach up, stand on the shoulders of giants and go for the top. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we get told so, so many times just to like, like you said, fake it until you make it or kind of move through it rather than yeah. accepting that that might not be you. Yeah. And I think that would solve a lot of problems if people were able to address that with themselves. Absolutely. Jack, thank you very much um, for your interview. So we're going to end now by asking some quickfire questions that we ask all of our guests. 
Okay, so first one, favourite chocolate bar? Galaxy Cooker. <laughs> um, your biggest inspiration? Myself. Love that. I like that. Uh, best habit? Um, best habit? Focused. Your worst habit? Unfocused. <laughs> <laughs> what would you change about yourself? Nothing, but my mum would say I'm a little bit untidier. <laughs> <laughs> Describe your life in three words. From dark to light. Love that. Oh, nice. Um, what's something new that's happening in your life right now? Big things. I can't talk about it, but <laughs> you'll see. You will see. Ooh, intriguing. Watch this piece. <laughs> um, what was your favourite subject at school? Probably English, even though I was not the best at it. <laughs> I just like the storytelling aspect of everything. What does success look like to you? Happy, content and ambitious. Cool. And what are your three favourite books? One's called Tim Grover's Winning, Notes from a Friend by Tony Robbins and Dead Ends. <laughs> <laughs> Good note to finish. Thank you, Jack, so much uh, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you. Oh, no worries. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. I found that absolutely fascinating. I was really looking forward to speaking to Jack um, and it didn't disappoint. I feel really like empowered and motivated now. So I'd say that was a really good interview. Yeah, definitely. It's really inspired me to get on with the rest of my day and kind of push forward for my dreams. And I was really interested to hear him talk about being authentic and sort of how the way that he dro drove himself to get those books published as well. I found that really inspiring. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's sort of making sure... I think that that reoccurring thing of being self-aware, knowing what you want and just going for it, regardless of the setbacks, you know, you can have so many people tell you that you're not going to make it and that can be so disheartening, but it's just trying to push past that, know yourself and know that you can do it. Yeah, definitely. And I hope it brought something useful to you guys who are listening as well. Yeah, definitely. Yep, yeah, so thank you very much for listening to another episode of Nevermind the Keywords. If you did enjoy it, please be sure to like and subscribe to wherever you get your pods and also leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening.